Before I bring the message, I'd like to, for you to hear an alert. <clears throat> I've noticed on television, on the newscast, perhaps you've noticed it as well. Everything that comes by way of news is always an alert. Now, this is an alert. Even the forecasters of the weather are falling into suit and pattern on that. We have an alert today. It's going to be raining tomorrow. It's an alert. And everybody seems to be in an alert mode. I want you to listen before I preach to Cozart's alert for January 2021. The United States of America is faced with two wars in progress. These are not two wars we might have to face in the future, but rather they are are two wars that are going on right now. One war is the spiritual battle that exists between the forces of good and the forces of evil. The political atheists and infidels have declared war on the church and the word of God. They are determined to turn good into evil and evil into good. Yet God's people will emerge victoriously over this. For in 1 John 4, 4, you are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. The second war we are facing is a civil war. You used to think about having to read about the civil war. In history books, you don't have to do that now. We are faced with a civil war between the communists and the patriots, not between the Democrats and Republicans, but between the communists and the patriots. The communists call themselves socialists and progressives. The patriots call themselves conservatives and constitutionalists. The communist hierarchy has already made Washington, D.C. their home of attack. They have control over the presidency. They have control over the Senate. They have control over the House of Representatives. They have control over the internet. They have control over Hollywood. And they have control over the public news media. This war is a battle between the patriots against those who are trying to rewrite our national history and change our constitution. They do not like our flag. 
They do not like our national anthem. They do not like our churches, our God, nor do they like our nation, nor our founding fathers. The communists tell us to join them in their common purpose and let's promote friendship and unity. But we cannot do this. No, we must never do this. The Bible makes this very clear in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 14 through 15. Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? And what communion hath light with darkness? And what concord hath Christ with Belial? Or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel? May God's people cry out in prayer to the Lord for deliverance from this scourge that seeks to destroy our nation. Lord, send a revival and let it begin in me. Now just in case you are interested... I am a patriot. And I am a constitutionalist. And I wouldn't give you a dime a dozen for a bunch of hot-headed atheistic communists. Joe Stalin was a communist. One of our greatest enemies at the time of his administration Castro is a communist and Cuba has been suffering under his regime ever since he came into office. Communism is not of God. I finished the alert, but I didn't tell my mouth and it just keeps on. I'm sorry. I want you to turn with me again to text 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. Now, I preached last Lord's Day, last Sunday, on enduring hardness. Enduring hardness. And I did not get through. I just did not get through. So I want to take a little time this morning to catch up on that but bring you a message on one other aspect of this text. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. Thou therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Now isn't it amazing? He's not saying be strong in your free will. Huh? but be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life 
that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. And if a man also strive for masteries, yet is he not crowned except he strive lawfully? The husbandman that laboreth must be first partaker of the fruits. Consider what I say, and the Lord give thee understanding in all things. As I stated a moment ago, I spoke last Sunday on verse 3, endure hardness. This morning I want to talk to you about a good soldier of Jesus Christ. A good soldier of Jesus Christ. Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. There are many metaphors or figures of speech in the Bible that the believer is like unto. The purpose of such metaphors is to show us who and what a Christian is. For instance, believers are like sheep, but never like goats. Believers are like wheat, but never like tares. Believers are like light, but never like darkness. Believers are like salt, but they're never like sugar. They're like branches, but never like bushes. Believers are like servants, but never rebels. They're like sons, but never bastards. They're like friends, but never enemies. They're like disciples, but never dunces. And they're like pilgrims, but never homesteaders. Endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. In our text, the apostle gives us another metaphor. A believer is like a soldier. He's like a soldier. What is there about a soldier that is being like a Christian? The Apostle Paul was obviously familiar with Jewish and Roman soldiers. They were everywhere to be observed. Jerusalem was under the authority of Rome, and Roman soldiers thrived in the city area. In the 23rd chapter of the book of Acts, one or two references very quickly. In chapter 3, 23 of Acts, verse number 10, the Bible says, And when there arose a great dissension, the chief captain, that's a Roman soldier, fearing lest Paul should have been pulled in pieces of them, commanded the soldiers to go down and take him by force from among them, and to bring him into the castle. Paul had made it clear that he wanted an audience with Caesar of Rome, and the Sanhedrin wanted to kill him before he got there. His own brothers in the Sanhedrin. But the Roman officers continually prevented that from happening. They were soldiers, and they were protecting the apostle Paul. In verses 23 and 24, the captain of this Roman regiment called unto him two centurions, saying, Make ready two hundred soldiers to go to Caesarea, and horsemen threescore and ten, and spearmen two hundred 
at the third hour of the night and provide them beasts that they may set Paul on and bring him safe unto Felix, the governor. And in verse 31, then the soldiers, as it was commanded them, took Paul and brought him by night to Antipatris. Also in Acts chapter 27, verses 31 and 32, Paul said to the centurion and to the soldiers, except you abide in the ship, you cannot be saved. Then the soldiers cut off the ropes of the boat and let her fall. They had boarded Paul aboard a ship and a terrible storm took place and would have destroyed the ship But the soldiers were on that ship to protect Paul. I'm saying all that to say this. Paul had first-hand experience of soldiering and who the soldiers were and what they did. So we have this text in 2 Timothy chapter 2 verse 3. Endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Please stay with me. We may go a little rapidly. Number one, the implications of being a soldier. What does it mean to be a soldier of Jesus Christ? The implication of being enlisted into the army. That's what it means to be a soldier, to be enlisted into an army. There was a time in 1 Kings 20, 25 that Elijah was the messenger to King Ahab of Israel. And Ahab was about to be destroyed by the Syrians. And Elijah told King Ahab, number an army. Number an army or enlist an army to fight against the Syrians. In the spiritual realm, there are but two armies. Revelation chapter 19, verses 11 through 19. Revelation 19, verses 11 through 19. In the spiritual, there are but two armies. Always have been and will be until the Lord disposes of one of them. In Revelation chapter 19, let's pick up with verses 14 through 19. And the armies which were in heaven, that is those who were saved by the grace of God, followed the Lord upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. And out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, that with it he should smite the nations. He'll rule them with a rod of iron. He treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and the wrath of Almighty God. He hath on his vesture... And on his thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords, and he has an army. The Lord Jesus Christ has an army. The second army I made mention of, read on. In verse number 19, I saw the beast, the kings of the earth, and their armies gathered together to make war against him that sat on the horse and against his army, and the beast was taken, and with him the false prophet that wrought miracles before him, with which he deceived them 
that had received the mark of the beast and them that worshipped his image, these both were cast alive into the lake of fire burning with brimstone. I said that in the spiritual realm there are but two armies. There is the army of the Lord and there is the army of the devil. Satan still exists today and he's very active in his existence he has included, included a tremendous army to defeat the Lord. And the Lord has his army. Those two armies are set forth there. Now notice also in our text that God chooses his soldiers. In the fourth verse of chapter 2 of Second Timothy, No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him... Who hath chosen him to be a soldier? Please notice, the soldier doesn't choose the Lord. The Lord chooses the soldier. That's what the text says. God chooses his soldiers. That means there are no volunteers. You don't have people in the church auditorium to raise their hands and say, I'll be a volunteer. I want to join the Lord's army. You can't join the Lord's army. <coughs> You're enlisted in it. <coughs> Already starting. <coughs> During World War II, a poster of Uncle Sam pointing his finger. If you're old enough to know much, you remember that. That these signs were posted all over town. Uncle Sam dressed in his paraphernalia, pointing his finger out. Uncle Sam, Sam wants you. The draft board existed for the purpose of securing an army. The recipient had no decision in the matter. I distinctly remember being told by my dad that we had to enlist or at least be registered that the government could call on us to serve our country. Back then, that was very, very necessary and very, very dangerous. That was the purpose of the draft board. I, I, never, I, never, I never served as a military person. The reason... When they got through examining me, they gave me a 4D classification. That did not mean my feet were flat. But it meant that God had beat them to the trigger and called me to preach. And they were not sending preachers into the military. They put them in 4D classification. But the point I want to make is the draft board existed for the purpose of securing an army and the recipient had no decision in the matter. No one could say, well, I don't think I'll do that. You'd do it or go to jail. He was claimed by the government just as the believer is claimed by God to be a soldier. Believers do not join the army. They are drafted and enlisted by the captivity, by the captain of our salvation. The implications are many. The implication of a battle to be fought. 
Endure hardness as a good soldier. What does that imply? It implies a battle to be fought. Why assemble an army if there's no battle? It implies a battle to be fought. Believers are to expect a battle, not a bottle. In Psalm 144 verse 1, Blessed be the Lord my strength, love this, which teacheth my hands to war and my fingers to fight. You call that spiritual karate. Huh? Come on. One of the purposes of martial arts is defense. You defend yourself from the enemy. And sometimes you have to do it by fighting. There is a battle from within. Are you aware of that battle? Paul said in Romans seven eighteen, For I know that in me that is in my flesh dwelleth no good thing. It's amazing how it boils up from time to time and we battle it. Galatians 5.17 says, The flesh lusteth against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. But there's also a battle from without, on the outside. In 1 John 3.13, Marvel not, my brethren, if the world hate you. James chapter 4, verse number 4, You adulterers, and adulteresses, now that's really old fogey talk, live-ins would be better. Now, now you bunch of live-ins, no, you adulterers and adulteresses, know you not that friendship with the world is enemy with God. Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. That's a good implication. There's a battle to be fought. There is the implication that of becoming the property of a sovereign. The property of a sovereign. A soldier does not belong to himself. <laughs> he belongs to Uncle Sam. He's told when to go to bed, when to get up, what to wear, what to eat, and where to go. He has no choice in the matter because he doesn't belong to himself. He belongs to a sovereign. And I'm here to tell you that the believer belongs to somebody else. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians six nineteen through 20, What? Know you not that your body's the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which you have of God, and you are not your own. There is also the implication of being properly uniformed. Military people have uniforms. In our culture, we have a particular uniform for the Navy, for the Marines, for the Air Force, for the Army, and so forth and so on. It lets you know that when you see that person, he belongs to the Army or to the area of service. Every soldier is issued a uniform and he's expected to wear it. The Bible says in Revelation 3, 4, Thou hast a few names even in Sardis which have not defiled their garments. They shall walk with me in white. There's your garment. They shall walk with me in white for they are worthy. 
Now, I do know because of what little age I have. Now, I don't have much. We got some old guys out here I'm preaching to today. I don't have, but, but I have found this to be so that a wedding dress is white, not black. That is used to be because of what it represents, namely virginity and purity. Now, in our day and in our culture, I don't know what you do with these wedding dresses that are polka dot and striped like a zebra. I, I, don't, I don't know what you do with that. But I'm telling you originally, my dear friends, it's white. Ecclesiastes chapter 9 verse 8, let thy garments be white always. That's our uniform. That's how the world knows the difference between us and those who are not of the world. The purpose of the uniform is to distinguish between the civilian and the soldier. And it does that today. Now, the characteristics of a good soldier. He says, There therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Not all soldiers are good. I repeat, not all soldiers are good. Some of them have become traitors. Some of them have quit and gone a different direction, hoping never to have to face the military again. Some are lazy, some are careless, some are indifferent. A good soldier possesses certain characteristics if he's a good soldier. Number one, he uses his armor properly. He uses his armor properly. And I do not have the time to go into it, but if you'll notice in Ephesians 6, 10 through 18... We have there a description that we're to put on the whole armor of God. It talks about the helmet of salvation. It talks about the sword of the Spirit. It talks about a covering for the feet and every member of the body. Put on the whole armor of God. But there's no place for the back. Because a believer is never to retreat. He's never to turn his back on the enemy. He's always facing the enemy. He uses his armor properly. I never will forget, and it hasn't been that long ago, and that helps a lot. <clears throat> Held a revival up in a, a meeting up in Indiana. And in one of the services, one of the men came to me and said, Brother Cozart, he said, I, I said, in the course of the conversation, I said, what do you do? He said, I'm a coon hunter. I said, all right. I don't hunt coons. But he was a coon hunter. And he told me about going out to a certain area where a guy sold dogs, hunting dogs. And he went to him and he said, I want a real good coon dog. And the fellow said, well, I'm glad you've come. I've got one that you'll really be impressed with. And he took him over to a fence and over to a, a, a chained-in area. And there was a, a coon dog in there. And he said, I want you to look that dog in the face and see what you see. He said, boy, I tell you what. I looked the dog in the face and his eyes were sharp. And his ears were sharp. 
and he growled a little bit, and his teeth had all of his teeth. They were just real sharp. And I said, well, I tell you what, it looks pretty good. Would you mind turning him around, please? He said, what do you want to turn him around for? He said, I want to see the other side of the dog. And he turned the dog around, and the dog's tail had been broken, and one of his legs had been chewed off. And the man said, I don't want that dog tall. He said, what do you mean by that? He said, well, that dog hadn't been really doing what he ought to be doing, been running from the enemy, running from the other dogs and coons. He went over to another section and said, show me your dogs. And this guy said, well, I tell you what. This is what the dog's been through. And he viewed him from the other side and saw the damage of the dog. Face was good, but his backside torn up. And he didn't want him until finally it was just opposite and transferred to a third one. And the third one, face all beat up, one-eyed dog, one of the eyes was gone in the dog, and he kind of bopped his head a little bit when he looked. And the fellow said, that's a dog I want. He said, because he's been in the battle. How many times we run from the devil? I mean run from the fight. and run. No, we're to stand tall. Upon this rock I'll build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Good soldier uses his armor properly. A good soldier endures hardness. 1 Timothy 1.18, he tells us to war a good warfare. Now, we're not talking about those who come to church one time a year around Easter time. And thank God when they leave church and say, I'm sure glad I got that over with for another year. We're talking about soldiers today. Are you listening? In 1 Timothy chapter 2, 2 Timothy 2, 3, endure hardness. A soldier does not give up. A soldier does not quit. He doesn't go a wall if he's a good soldier. He doesn't give up. He doesn't quit because another soldier made him mad. If he's a good soldier, he's like a pit bulldog, not a miniature poodle. He can take it like Job. The Apostle Paul said, I have fought a good fight. I knew a preacher friend of mine. He's no longer here. God took him home to heaven. Every time it thunders, I said, well, he made it all right. Who pastored one church up in Texarkana. And I tell you, boy, he did take a stand. And they finally told him he had to leave the church and couldn't pastor it any longer. When he left, he said, I don't know if I fought a good fight or not, but I've been in a good one. I like that. Boy, I like that. Don't you? Bill Purcells told his football team, where's Jeff? (laughs) Bill Purcells told his football team, I don't care about your potential. I want to see your performance. Where is that today? Don't tell me about your potential. Let me see your performance. The story is told of Alexander the Great called 
in a soldier who was found retreating. And Alexander the Great asked the soldier, Sir, what is your name? And the man said, My name is Alexander. Alexander the Great said, Sir, you change your conduct or you change your name. Where is the battle won? Not on the parading field, but on the battlefield. And there is a difference. Now I realize most likely, and I don't say this judgmentally, but I realize most likely I might be speaking to some at this point in time and saying, what in the world is he talking about? I think you know what I'm talking about. Some of us are Casper milk toast. Some of us are just as lily-livered as we can be. And if we believe in tulip, we like to just tiptoe through the tulips. We don't want to make anybody mad. Huh? Are we still friends? I hope so. A good soldier is disciplined to follow orders. In John 14, verse 23, If a man love me, he will keep my words. Hmm. Well, what are his words? We're not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is. We're to pray without ceasing. We're to love one another. And we're to study to show ourselves approved under God as workmen needing not to be ashamed, but rightly being able to divide the Word of God, the Scriptures. We know how to say, yes, sir. We know how to say, no, sir. And we know how to stand at attention and salute. Especially when the Star Spangled Banner is being played. Well, I just feel like that 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 football player uh, that just knelt and and he wouldn't stand at all. He, uh, you know, he has a right. He has freedom of speech. Baloney. Sorry, good for nothing outfit. A coach who's anything at all would have said, "Get out of here. You're not playing for my team." But this guy has become a favorite with a lot of folk. Oh, he had the courage. He has nothing. Nothing. A good soldier of Jesus Christ seeks to please his captain. Seeks to please his captain. In verse number 4 it says, No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. I want to please my Lord if I'm a good soldier. Seeks to please his captain. In Hebrews 2 verse 10, For it became him for whom are all things, and by whom are all things, in bringing many sons unto glory, to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. We have a captain of our salvation. He's the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not just a religion, my friends. It is a life. 
life. And no man begins to live until he comes to Jesus Christ and bows his knee to Christ and acknowledges him as Lord and Savior. Let me hurriedly mention this third thing, the reward of a good soldier. If a man is a good soldier of Jesus Christ, there is a reward that's set forth in the scripture. In the book of Revelation, chapter number 7, verses 13 and following, one of the elders answered, saying unto me, What are these which are arrayed in white robes? Well, I can tell you right off, they're soldiers of Jesus Christ. They got on the right uniform, white robes. Where'd they come from? There's the question. And I said unto him, Sir, thou knowest. He said to me, These are they which came out of great tribulation and have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore are they before the throne of God and serve Him day and night in His temple. And He that sitteth on the throne shall dwell among them. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. Neither shall the sun light on them nor any heat. For the Lamb which is in the midst of the throne shall feed them and shall lead them unto living fountains of waters and God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. One of these days, there's going to be a grand review to take place. The following story comes out of World War II. Some of our boys on a certain island were fighting a losing battle. They received orders, maintain your position. Maintain your position. Many of those servicemen fought, bled, and died, yet they won the battle and they kept the island. A general was flown in to present the medals. Some men could not stand, their legs having been blown away. The general would pin on the medal and say, Well done, soldier. You fought a good fight. This country would not be in existence today were it not for those who gave their lives and fought a good fight. One day, we as soldiers will line up on the shores of glory before our commander. It'll be well worth it all to hear his voice say, well done. Well done. And when we face him, he will not say, show me your medals. He'll say, show me your scars. I don't know who wrote it. I know the song. It's not something you hear often, if ever, in church. But give me some men who are stout-hearted men, who will fight for the right they adore. Start me with ten who are stout-hearted men, and I'll soon give you 10,000 more good soldiers of Jesus Christ. Now, dear friends... You've been kind to listen to this barking preacher today. 
I did not start this yesterday. I believe it's one of the movie stars in a commercial about older people selling their homes and the program that is involved with that. He opens up that commercial by saying, this is not my first rodeo. I've been preaching for 67 years. And some of the churches, some of them, in the minority, my wife and I have had the privilege of going back to, not when they were having services, but just to go back to the building and walk the sacred grounds. But there's some of them I would never go back to. I shake the dust off of my feet and walk on and continue doing what God called me to do. I am a patriot. And I love this church. But I love somebody else more. And that's the word of God. We need it today so desperately. If you're here without Christ... Why not look to Him and trust Him as your Lord and your Savior? You'd be surprised at what a change will take place in your life when Christ comes into your heart. Do that today. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and be a good soldier, a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Let's stand, please, for prayer.